Well, thank you, ladies. So nicely done. I love, love good music. I can't do much of it, but I love hearing it. I enjoy it. I like, I'm like a lot of folks. You put me in a group, I do all right. Get in a group, somebody else drowned me out, and that works out pretty good. But anyway, these folks who do special music, I have great, great uh, admiration and thankfulness to the Lord for them and for the blessing that they bring when they sing these beautiful, wonderful, blessed songs. Now, Matthew chapter 13 is my text of choice tonight. Matthew chapter 13. I uh, appreciate so much the opportunity that's been mine today to be in front of you both morning and evening. And uh, always a joy and a delight to come here for a variety of reasons. Uh, Brother Fugit and I enjoy time together and, and uh, we kind of bounce things off of one another and have just uh, a lot of good conversation and time and I appreciate it. And, and uh, Mrs. Fugit was very kind to uh, feed us lunch today and a good home cooked meal on Sunday is a little bit of a rarity for me because so often out around the country in my travels, uh, it's some kind of a restaurant, which is all right, but home-cooked meals, uh, well, that's just a, a notch above the other. Uh, <clears throat> my wife and I have been working at uh, kind of reducing just a little bit working at it, and uh, <laughs> she said to me the other day, she said, oh, she said, I know, it's so hard for you because you're, you're having to, you know, traveling so much, you have to eat out a lot in the restaurants. And I looked at her and I said, girl, I said, it's not the restaurants that are giving me the problem. I said, I come home and you got all this great home cooked food and there's nobody but me and you to eat it. And I really think she thinks I'm a human garbage disposal because every little thing that's left over, here, eat this, eat this. Well, you see what it's done to me. So, <laughs> But anyway, we had a good meal together, good time together, and I appreciate it. <coughs> and... Listen, if I may just say here by way of greeting, keep it up, folks. Keep it up. Our country's in such a mess, and we need places in cities like Lexington all over this country where somebody has a lighthouse. In fact, we need a bunch of them. But thankfully, we do have some places like Clay's Mill that's doing that, and God bless you for it, and please keep it up. Hang in here through valleys, mountaintops, whatever's going on, just hang in, and God bless you for it. Matthew chapter 13 is a famous chapter, a very famous chapter. It's famous because it contains the parable that Jesus gave that we call the parable of the sower. Now, the parable is there in the first uh, nine verses, and then later over in the chapter, verses 19 and following, 18 and following, he gives some analysis and some uh, interpretation of what the parable is about. But uh, in between the parable and the interpretation of it, there are these verses, numbers 9 through uh, 17. And those are the verses that I want to read, if I may, tonight, starting Matthew 13, verse number 10. The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, the crowd that he had on this occasion not only included his uh, intimate followers, these disciples, these people who were very close to him, but it was a mixed crowd. There were folks in that crowd that were not saved. They had not signed on. They were not 
following except just to pay attention, but they were not committed. And so he was using some terminology here in these stories, these parables, and the disciples were a little perplexed about that. And so they asked him the question, why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11, he gave the answer and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of, of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now let me pause again. That is not a Calvinistic statement. That is not a statement that says some people are just not included. That's not what it says. The fact of the matter is these intimate disciples, had they, they were getting access to information that the others were not getting because they were saved. But these folks who were not saved, they were not getting the information. It was not yet given to them. It's not to say that it couldn't be given to them, but it was not given to them yet. And so he's just saying, they, they don't have a clue. You folks, are you, you have the, the basis on which you can understand things, but they don't. No. So verse 12, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Now, look again at verse 16. Jesus said to these people who were close to him, his intimate disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about blessed eyes and blessed ears. I'm not a comedian, and I don't try to be one. But every once in a while, I hear something that tickles my funny bone. And uh, case in point, I heard about an elderly farmer who had witnessed a crime, and they had him come into court to testify against the person they arrested. And uh, he pointed out the defendant and said, that's the culprit. Well, the defense attorney asked him, sir, how old are you? Well, he said uh, he was in his mid to late 80s, something like that. And the defense attorney said, well, at your age, he said, uh, uh, you know, uh, how, how well do you see? How far were you from witnessing what you said you saw? And the old gentleman said, well, maybe about 100 feet from the defendant. And the attorney at that point just railed at him. And he said, a man at your age in the dim light of the, of the evening just how far can you see? And the old gentleman said, well, I don't rightly know. But they tell me that the moon's 238,000 miles away, and I see it real good. <laughs> now, 
<coughs> there, there, there are some people who cannot see. And then there are those who will not see. There are people who cannot hear and there are those who will not hear. And what we have here with this crowd, this, this outside crowd, they were listening to everything the disciples were hearing. But what we read tells us that even though they were hearing it and they were seeing it, they saw but they did not see. They heard but they did not hear. But Jesus said to the disciples, Oh, but you have blessed eyes because you are seeing and really seeing. You're getting the picture. You are hearing and really hearing. You're understanding what I am saying to you. Now, when people have issues with their eyes, it's usually one of a variety of things. For example, some people are nearsighted. Nearsighted. Things in the distance are out of focus. They see up close real well, but out in the distance they can't see. On the other hand, there are people who are farsighted. The distance is clear, but up close is blurred. And if I may just say here parenthetically, you know, sometimes Christian folks, I mean, they, they can get all interested in something 10,000 miles away, but they won't walk down the street to witness to somebody. There are other folks who get all concerned about what's going on in their street, but they wouldn't give a dime to help somebody 10,000 miles away. So farsightedness is a problem. Nearsightedness is a problem. Thank God for what they do see, but they do not see all they should see. Now, there's some folks who have both, and they call it astigmatism because up close, out the distance, everything is blurred. They don't see anything like it ought to be seen. Now, I have some other folks that we know. In fact, I have one dear friend who is colorblind. Colorblind. He, he sees all of the images very clearly, but they're all in black and white. In fact, I'm always concerned when I'm riding with him because when he pulls up to a stoplight, he assumes that the, that the light on the top is the red one. He can't tell. Now, I'm just always concerned that some very progressive bureaucrat is going to juggle those around in some place. And uh, so I always watch very carefully when I'm riding with him because he has this, de this, uh, this deficiency where that he cannot see the color of things. Now, there are other people, of course, who are totally blind. That would be, in this case, typical of the, of the lost man. Isaiah 28 talks about the drunk and the disorderly. It says they err in vision. They stumble in judgment. And you know, whether it's one of us individually or a church as a, as a body or even a whole nation, we need eyes that see and really see. We need ears that hear and really hear. And, and the defects that, uh, that people have oftentimes, it's, it's terribly uh, hindering to them in terms of what they can do and what they cannot do. Brother Fugit mentioned that I was pastor for a long time, 34 years total. And uh, I, I had a lot of really tremendous, wonderful, blessed years. And nobody loved pastor, being pastor any more than I did. I was always thrilled that I had the privilege to be pastor. And, uh, and I had a lot of folks that, uh, 
were, I mean, they were in pitching with me all of the time. But then there were others who would say to me, well, uh, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I, I just can't see it. I just can't see it. Now, if I can just be, I mean, you've heard me enough times, you know I'm pretty plain spoken, and, and I, I think I should be. I think the pastor should be. We ought to be able to open up and say what we think. And so I've always preached against smoking. I've always, I, mean, I, I try to be kind about it, but, I, but I've always said what I believe about that, that I don't think that we ought to be doing that. Now, I've had folks say to me, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I, I just can't see it. Now, sadly, I report to you, I buried a bunch of those folks, some of them in their 40s, some of them in their 50s, some of them in their early 60s, lung cancer, people that I love dearly, but they just couldn't see what they needed to see. Same thing with alcohol. I've always preached hard against alcohol. You say, what kind of alcohol are you against? All of it you ever heard of. You say, how much of it? Every drop of it. I've always preached very, very hard against, but I've had folks say, now, in fact, I am totally amazed at how many folks today, I mean, I'm reading articles, uh, mainly out of the evangelical and the charismatic crowd, uh, but, but uh, folks who are professing to be Christians and yet they're trying to make a case that it's okay to drink some, they say, as long as you don't get drunk. Now that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And by the way, I don't know what Bible they're reading because there is so much in the Bible that knocks alcohol. And yet I've had folks say, well, Pastor, I just can't see it. And sadly again, but I had to bury some of them. They had an unfortunate encounter in their car with an oak tree or they ran a stop sign and crashed into somebody else and some, some occasions where they may have even taken somebody else's life. But they said, I mean, right up to the light, I, I just can't see it, I can't see it. Uh, you know, a lot of folks are that way about uh, how they present themselves. Uh, you know, I... I say to some of the preachers, you know, you, you don't have to wear cufflinks like I do all the time. You, you don't have to do that. But at the same time, I, 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 really, I really think there, there are some things in the Bible about how we present ourselves. Um, you know, <laughs> men are men. And I, I don't think it hurt at all if we presented ourselves in such a way that uh, even from a distance you could tell that. The way we groom ourselves, the way we dress ourselves. And ladies, women are women. And once again, I don't think it hurt a thing in the world if from a distance people could tell just by the way you present yourself. Now, I've always preached that. My family and I have tried to practice that. You say, uh, well, I, I just can't see it. I can't see it. Yeah, and there's a lot of consequences that go with that. Fact of the matter is, I think as a Christian, we ought not to be going out over town half naked. Half naked. You don't want people looking at it? Cover it up. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble, amen? Amen. Hey, I'm just, I'm just saying, folks, there's all kinds of things in the Bible 
and, and that, that tell us about our behavior, our presentation, how we present ourselves, and yet folks say, I, I can't see it. Now, why can't they see what they need to see? Well, here's some reasons. Sometimes folks are not saved, and so they don't have any degree of spiritual discernment at all, and they can't see. Now, I'm not saying everybody who doesn't see these things, I'm not saying they're all unsaved, but some probably are not. There are other folks, they're saved, but they're hanging on to their carnalities. It's like, hey, I want to be me, I want to do what I want to do, this is what I've always done, all that kind of stuff. There are folks that it's just like, well, yeah, I'm saved, I got baptized, I'm coming to church, but, you know, some of this stuff, I just don't see it. And so they don't. There are other folks who... Uh, they can't see it because they've been misinformed. The town where I live in Middle Tennessee, we have a bunch of folks who think, I mean really a lot of them who think that if you just get baptized, you'll go to heaven. Now you say, what's their problem? Well, they're dead wrong. They're just dead wrong. And uh, you say, well, what about somebody who goes with that? They're misinformed. And you say, but, but they just don't see what they need to see. There are other people who are totally untutored. Nobody has told them anything. That's why when folks walk in the door, and I'm talking about smokers, drinkers, folks that are not dressing well, whatever. Listen, we take them, we take them, we take them. We receive them. Uh, and, and little by little, I mean, every once in a while, you just have to talk about it a little bit and uh, lay it out there. Now, we don't throw anybody under the bus. We don't throw anybody under the bus whether you agree or disagree. In fact, I've said to folks any number of times, if you won't get mad at me for saying what I think's right, I won't get mad at you if you don't agree with me. I think that's a good deal, amen? I think we ought to treat one another right whether we ever agree or not. Now, untutored folks sometimes just can't see it. There are other folks who have obstacles, things that are in the way. I'm thinking now of a case. A young couple came to our church. They were there a couple of Sundays, and I got their name and address, called them, made an appointment to see them, went to their home, sat down. They were very cordial, very warm. I uh, talked to them, went through the plan of salvation with them, and the gentleman just, they were in their, I think, thir early 30s, maybe mid-30s. Uh, he shook his head, and it was like, uh, no, not, not now, not now. Well, I tried to leave the door open and ask them to come on back. And, you know, they were not there every Sunday, but they kept coming some. And a few weeks passed, and I asked him a second time. I said, uh, I'd like to stop by again sometime, anytime, he said. So I went by, made another appointment, went by, and went through the plan of salvation again. He said no. A few weeks passed by, and one Sunday night, they were sitting over in the wing on this side, about, I don't know, 12, 15 rows back. And... Uh, when I gave the invitation, I mean, he came trotting down the aisle. I mean, really motoring down the aisle. I saw him coming because I had dealt with him. I, you know, I had folks at the altar to, to help, but I stepped off and went to meet him because uh, I just felt like I was uh, probably better prepared to deal with him at the moment. And uh, when, he, when I got to him, he got to me. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm ready. I want to be saved. We got down right, right like so. A uh, little instruction, I led the man to Christ, and as soon as we finished, he said, can I talk to you after the amen? I said, sure. We just kind of turned around and put our backs to everybody else after the amen. 
He said, Pastor, I wanted to get saved the first time that you were out of the house. He said, I wanted to get saved the second time, but he said, I couldn't do it. He said, I knew, he said, I knew that the moment that I came to Christ, I knew I'd have to give up my job. Well, he had told me he was a truck driver. I said, well, what kind of a job you got? Turns out he was driving a truck distributing pornography all over the region. He said, I knew, I knew I'd have to quit my job. And he said, I will in the morning. He said, I'm going to go in and turn in my resignation. And he did. But before we left our little huddle, we bowed our heads. I prayed and I said, oh God, help this boy to get a job. He did. By Friday, he had another job. Wasn't quite as much money, but he moved up quickly. And was soon back because he had been making what he thought was good money. It was bad money, but he's making it now. Sometimes there are things like that that are in the way. Obstacles, some kind of an agenda. And because of that, folks will say, well, I, I just can't see it. I, can't, I, I hear it, but I, but I don't understand it. They, see, the, the problem here with the folks, this crowd, it wasn't that they couldn't see, they wouldn't see. And sometimes folks can see, but they just refuse to see. And I'm telling you, folks, I thank God for good vision. Now, I have to have these rascals here. But I'm glad that I can see all of you all the way to the back of this building. I can't tell a whole lot about you, but I probably see more than I want to see. Amen? You're having to look at me the same way. All right. Now, the vision we need, though. I mean, when we talk about seeing and really seeing and seeing to understand and hearing and really hearing to understand, like Isaiah, we need to see God very plainly and very clearly. Have the right spirit and attitude toward the Lord God. It's not enough. It's not enough for me to just look up and say, well, hey, I'm going to kind of come on. But no, we need to see he's the great God Almighty. He's the creator. He's the one who made us. And if we get life eternal, we'll get it from him. We need to see God for who he is. When we do like Isaiah, then we'll begin to see ourselves for what we really are. How blessed we are, the sinners though we are, we are saved and heaven bound. Privileged we are. What opportunity the Lord's given us. And once we see him and see ourselves, then we are able to see other people. The other day I was driving down the street in our city, uh, the city of Murfreesboro, just to bring up speed geographically if you don't know the city of Murfreesboro sits on the south edge of Nashville we're about 30 miles from downtown Nashville the city of Murfreesboro is 160,000 people itself inside the city limits another 50 or 60,000 on the edges and uh, we have according to the, the uh, local folks since 2010 our city has grown by 100 people a week every week for the last 12 years. Now, I was driving down. In fact, I was talking to one of my buddies the other day on the phone, and, and I told him, I said, I'm telling you, I said, I said, the traffic has gotten so bad in our city, I think I'm going to move to Atlanta. <laughs> if you hadn't been to Atlanta lately, you probably don't want to go. <laughs> now, fact is the traffic has gotten just horrific in our city. And I was driving down the street there the other day 
and just car after car, bumper to bumper at a certain hour of the day. And all at once it dawned on me. And I said, you know, there are people in every one of those cars. Every one of those cars, there are people. Fact is, you don't have to go to a foreign country to be a foreign missionary anymore. One recent Saturday, uh, Dr. Sumner, our pastor, and I were uh, partnered up knocking doors. <coughs> and uh, the first three doors that we knocked on, first three doors we knocked on, first house, the man had just moved to Murfreesboro from London, England. Got a job in our city, moved all the way from London. Sec second door we knocked on was a family from Egypt. And a uh, uh, man, wife, and two or three children and uh, they spoke very limited English, very limited. Uh, the third house that we knocked on was a Spanish family, and only, only one child in the, in the family spoke any English, and my little dad was Spanish, and their little dad English. I mean, we didn't get very far. First three houses. That's going on all over the place. People coming to us, and I'm telling you, every car, every car has people in it. The, the greatest days of our city I mean, they're here, and then, and I think about our church, I think about what we're doing, and I say, man, I look around our church, and I mean, I look here, and I say that new building, I mean, there's going to be new carpet in there, there's going to be new paint in there, I mean, new air conditioning, new pavement, all of those kinds of things, and I see all of that, and I want all of that, but more than anything else, I see those little boys and girls in the hall. I see those moms and dads making their way in, dropping their kids off under the weather catcher. I see the folks that are coming, and many of them from various places in the world. And when you and I see what we ought to see, like we ought to see it and understand what we're seeing, and hear what we ought to hear, like we ought to hear it and understand what we're hearing, when we see and hear with what Jesus here calls blessed eyes, we will see all of them as somebody, somebody for whom Jesus died. Somebody that's gotten close enough to us that we can do what we can to reel them in and bring them to the Savior. When we see with blessed eyes, ah, we begin to see that we ought to clean up our life. Then we begin to see that we ought to live by some standards. Whenever we hear with blessed ears, then we will digest the things that we hear. We'll receive the things that are in the Bible, for example. I love that piece the choir did a little bit ago about the Bible and its standing. I mean, it's a precious piece Whenever you and I sing those songs and get to heart, what it tells us, we receive what's in the book. We accept the doctrines that are in the Bible. We adhere to the morality that is advocated in the Bible. I'm so weary of hearing scandals among God's people. So weary of hearing things. We adhere when we see what we ought to see and hear what we ought to hear with blessed ears and blessed eyes. We'll adhere to the morality that God lays out in the book. We'll not be offended by the Ten Commandments, for example. And by the way, we'll acknowledge the stewardship that God lays out in the Bible. Betty and I married fresh out of high school. Pretty quickly, a few months after we graduated. And... Uh, We've been married a long time. <laughs> Pastor talking about me being preaching more than 60 years. She and I have been married 60 years. I was only three when she married me, but anyway. 
We have. We've been married 60 years last December. And I'm about to tell you something, and I don't tell it to boast on us at all. But from day one, we accepted the fact that the Lord did have a plan of stewardship. And whenever I was going to college and grad school and all the things that I did pursuing an education, paying my own way and all of that, pastoring a little church and our babies were born, we didn't have any insurance. But week after week after week, during the college time, I was pastor of a little church 50 miles away from the university. They'd almost gone bankrupt, but they wanted me to be the pastor, and I wanted to pastor somewhere. And they told me that they, were, they, had, a, they had a salary, and they'd give me a salary. When I heard what it was, I mean, it, actually, it was just a You didn't need the whole word to describe it. Betty and I, from day one, we tithed every dollar. And with God as our witness, so far as we know, I mean, we might have slipped up somewhere, but we don't know about it if we did because we have been diligent. We have said, and again, please don't misunderstand my statement here. I'm just saying I think it's right for us to believe what God has said and acknowledge the stewardship that is advocated in the Bible. And likewise, we band together in faith. We band together in a local church. We pitch in and we help. You know, church like Clay's Mill with all kinds of things going on, we need everybody to help. You say, I don't know what I can do. You may not know, but there's folks here who can help you figure out what you can do. And I'm telling you, all of us can pitch in. We all can help. I've said to our pastor more than once, anything you need me to do, you need me to push a broom, I'll do it. I'm serious. You need me to work in the altar on Sunday? I'll do it. If I'm there, if I can help, I, I want to I do whatever I can do. I, I'm just, I, I'm not the pastor. He's the pastor. Tell me what I can do. I'm glad to do it. And I hope and pray that every one of us, I mean all of us, will just get on board. I mean seeing like we ought to see and hearing like we ought to hear and taking the blessing of God and the understanding that he gives. I mean the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Whenever we listen to what God says in his book, faith wells up in us. We believe God and we look at it. I mean, so often I say to people, in fact, I think Pastor and I were talking yesterday, some moments of just rehearsing a little bit. I get to thinking sometimes about a little kid who grew up down here in those river bottoms in western Kentucky, never been six feet tall in my life, and the Lord allows me to be in his work and serve him, I am absolutely flabbergasted that I get to do some of the things that I get to do. And the Lord, I think, is looking for some of us to just sign up. No two of us alike. Every one of us can help in some manner and help to do the job if we see with blessed ears, eyes and hear with blessed ears. Jesus said this, some of these folks, they, they don't get it. They do not get it. A variety of reasons maybe, they don't get it. But Jesus said the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed to you because you have eyes that see and really see and ears that hear and really hear. I hope and pray tonight that there will be just a little bit of stirring in every heart that says I want to have the blessing." Blessed ears, blessed eyes. I want to see what God would have me to see. I don't want to be 
I don't want to be somebody who's holding back. I want to be somebody who's moving forward. I want to be somebody that God can truly use because I see what he says I ought to see and he lets me hear what I need to hear and I receive that. There is a blessing that goes with seeing and really seeing, hearing and really hearing. It's a blessing I want. I hope you want it as well. Let's stand up, please. Would you stand with me? Whether you're here in this auditorium or some of you that are watching online, I don't know many of you and maybe some of you have not received the Savior yet. Now, I know what I've preached tonight has been pretty much preaching to those of us that are saved. But every service, if there's even one person who doesn't have salvation settled, listen, Jesus died on the cross and arose from the grave just for you. Just like he did for me and all the rest of us, he did for you. And he would love to save you. And he will save you if you'll trust him. And in a moment when that music begins, I'm going to ask you to do something. There'll be people right down here to help you. I'm going to ask you to leave where you're standing. Walk down one of these aisles, find your way here, and there'll be somebody down here to help you. And I'm going to ask you to do it. Tonight's the night. There may be some of you that need to join. You've uh, felt God's leadership about coming here to the church, and you want to join Clay's Mill. Well, you come, there'll be folks here to help you as well. And for the rest of us, whatever the Lord may be doing in your life, however he may have spoken to you today, would you please listen to it and respond to it? Too many casualties along the way. Too many folks getting sideways. Too many folks that are backing down, backing off, caving in. And if you and I will just keep signing up, keep surrendering, keep yielding ourselves, keep saying, Lord, I want to see, I want to hear what I ought to see, what I ought to hear, and receive it warmly. I believe the Lord will do some great things for you, for your family, and for your life, if you'll allow it. So, Lord, help us tonight, I pray. May the Spirit of God so 